So we are in chapter 18 of the story. If you are visiting with us or here for the first time, we have been going through this book called The Story from Genesis to Revelation using excerpts of Scripture along the way to give us a big picture of what is going on in the Bible. God has this great story that he is writing and telling us, and and we see ourselves in the story. We've got an upper story and a lower story. The lower story is the the day-to-day action that's going on, the the day-to-day brokenness, the day-to-day crisis, the the things that are going on in life. And and we all have a lower story that that God is writing, right? We we have day-to-day experiences, and then there's this upper story, which is the overarching story that God is, is telling, this, this story of love, this story of compassion, this story of, of trying to win his people back, to, to get them back. He is in pursuit of his people, and we are those people that he is in pursuit of. And so we get to chapter 18, and we get to the story of Daniel, and there's several stories in here. This chapter got a little bit easier to read than the chapter before, right? So we've, we've got back to a little bit more of narrative, got out of the prophets, and, and, and are getting to some familiar stories here. And we get to these stories, and, and we find God's people who are in a different place. They have been invaded, and they have been deported, and they are now slaves in a foreign land, this, this land of Babylon, and Babylon is this huge, wealthy metropolis that is, is full of idol worship. And this is a powerful place that has taken them over. And they pull in the people, and they, they take the best and the brightest, right? They, they take the strongest, and they take the smartest, and bring them with them into Babylon, and, and leave the weak ones and, and the weird ones behind. And so we've got here Daniel in Babylon, It was in the middle of a 70-year stay in Babylon. And so they used the people who were strong for laborers, and they used the people who were smart and sent them off to to their form of university and, and educated them and trained them and indoctrinated them on the culture of Babylon. They were they were indoctrinated into what it meant to be a good Babylonian. And the ones who rose up through this education system were the ones that were handpicked to become rulers and to become administrators and have key roles of influence. And so Daniel stood out in this time of education and and he distinguished himself among the other ones that were there. And his great administrative skills and his ability to interpret dreams caught the attention of the king. He quickly rises up in the ranks and we see him gaining more and more power, more and more influence. And then there is another round of takeovers, and the the Babylonians are no longer in control. The Persians come in and take over. But the Persian king repeated this cycle of developing the brightest and the smartest, and Daniel again rose up in the ranks here and found favor in the eyes of the Persian king. But even though David was liked by the king, there were other administrators who were not so fond of him, right? How many of you have seen the Veggie Tales of, of Daniel and the Lion's Den? I just I, I wanted to play it, but I just couldn't get to it. Sorry, sorry to tease you there. This great little song. Who knows the song? Can anybody sing the song for us? Does anybody know the song? The guy the guys are are trying to come up with this scheme to get rid of Daniel, right? And they come up with this scheme to do you know? 
Robert, you can't sing it for us? Not on the spot? Man, I should have planted you as a, as a talent ready to go. So there are these other administrators. They do not like Daniel because Daniel is getting all of the attention. And so Daniel um, finds himself in trouble with these other administrators. They want to figure out a way to get rid of him. They want to figure out a way to catch him in a trap. And so this sets up the story that we're going to read this morning. We're going to read from Daniel chapter 6, verses, starting in verse 1. And there's a big chunk here. So if you've got the story, it's on page 257. If you've got your Bible, you can turn, turn to Daniel 6. We're going to read through this chunk here. It pleased Darius, he's the king, pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and satraps that by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So he is rising up in power significantly here. They're going to put him over the entire kingdom. They could find, or so at this, the administrators, they tried to find grounds to charge find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it was something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. Let's boost up his ego a little bit, right? The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So they can't find anything to convict Daniel of, so they're going to invent something. They're going to create a law that they know he's going to break. And so they convince the king and, and appeal to his ego and, and say, hey, Let's have this 30-day celebration where we only pray to you, your majesty. Well, how noble of them, right? But there is this underlying motive. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? They know the answer, right? Didn't you throw out this decree there by our own coaching? Then they said to the king, guess what? Daniel Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. 
He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went to the group, went as a group to King Darius and said, Remember, you can't go back on this, right? That according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the rings of the nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And so let's pause there for a moment. Cliffhanger, right? We all know what happens. But here is this king who, who is concerned for Daniel. And he gets stuck in this trap. And we've got this in, incredible story here that, that provides so much imagery and, and vivid imagination, right? We've got this den of lions and so, interestingly enough, Daniel and the Babylonian captivity is referred to in the New Testament as well. So there's some talk in the New Testament of Daniel and, and the talk of Babylon, and, and it's used as this metaphor for the world. Babylon becomes this, Babylon becomes this idea of, of living in the world, and in this world we live, we work, and we raise our families in Babylon. So as, as followers of Jesus, we are in this metaphorical Babylon where it is not our home, it is not where we belong, and there's somewhere that comes after this, that we are our temporary residents here, that we have been taken into captivity and we live in this world, this, this Babylon, with all of its idolatry, all of its brokenness, all of its hurt. But we are citizens of another reality. We are citizens of another place. And this place is not our home. And so as we, as we look at our lives as ones in exile, as, as ones who live in a Babylon, there are a few things that we can learn from Daniel, right? We can use him as an example to apply to our own lives of, of what does it mean to live in exile? What does it mean to live in this Babylon? And so the first thing we see about Daniel is his life brought blessing to Babylon. He didn't just come there and camp out. He didn't just hide away. He was an intentional blessing to the place around him. The land that he was in was better because of his presence, because of his work, because of his faithfulness. When you look at the whole of Daniel's life, you see that, that his performance as an administrator, that his ability to, answer, to interpret dreams, that all brought a blessing to Babylon. And so as he finds himself in this place, he works. In the same way that Joseph worked to bless Egypt, Daniel works and blesses Babylon. And they're actually instructed by God to do this. Last week we talked some about Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 29, 
we, we have this encouragement that he gives to the people who are in captivity. He sends this message to the people in Babylon to encourage them. And he tells them this. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests and to the prophets and to the people carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So he's writing them a letter. Here's the letter. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. So go and establish roots there. Establish a home there and become a blessing to that country. Become a blessing to that place. And so... Daniel walks this out. God has a vision for his people to bless other nations, whether it's in Jerusalem or whether they're in exile in another place. And Daniel is faithful to that. He is going to be a blessing to those around him. And so he ended up going through their education system, excelling, learning about their culture, engaging in their culture, and he carried out his job in their culture. He was a part of what was going on there, and he brought a blessing to Babylon. He brought improvement to what was going on. And so God has a heart for the Babylonians. He wants something for him. He has a desire to to draw all nations to him, and he wants to do that through his people, to draw people to him. And it's going to happen through the quality and the impact of his people. The lives of his people will make a difference. And so don't we wrestle with this so often, right? How do we engage with culture? Especially youth, right? You're you're in public schools and you're in places where things are not the way God wants them to be. And so what do we do is is we try to engage in the culture around us. We have places that we work. We have friends. We have relationships. We have neighbors, we have schools, we have these places that are not the way God wants them to be. And as followers of his, we have choices about whether or not we can be a blessing. You know, are we going to step up into an uncomfortable place and say, I will be a blessing to others? Or do we retreat back into self-preservation? Do we ignore the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus? Do I try to blend in? Do I try to just get by and get out so I'm not noticed? We're called to be a blessing to the culture around us. The second thing is his integrity withstood the scrutiny of Babylon. So Babylon is a rough place, right? Full of idolatry, full of self-centeredness. This is not a good place to be. And Daniel works in this place and not only survives being in this place, but he excels at being in this place. He's promoted into leadership of this place, and he's a blessing to them, and he maintains his integrity. He did not have to compromise to get to the places that he, he was in. He didn't have to compromise his integrity to, to excel. He did not have to compromise his integrity to win. He didn't have to, to compromise his integrity to get that promotion. That even in the scrutiny of Babylon, this most secular of places, 
he was able to maintain his integrity. Remember back in verse 4, they could find no corruption in him. They couldn't find any corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. So he wasn't corrupt and he didn't ignore his job. He did what he was supposed to do and he did it the way God wanted him to do it. And so he worked here, established a reputation for himself, and the people notice. They see that no fault can be found in him. And they realize they're not going to be able to find any charges against him, so they've got to go invent charges. They've got to go make up this new law so they can find a law that he's breaking. And they know that this issue of prayer is going to be a sticking point for Daniel. And so they go in and invent this law that says if you pray to anybody but the king, you're going to get thrown into a lion's den. And so now there is this decision point for Daniel. He has to decide what is he going to do. Will he act with integrity? Will he follow his convictions? Or will he fall to what the culture around him is calling him to do? And so it's really quite impressive that someone like Daniel would go into this incredibly secular environment and not lose his faith. That he would act with integrity. He would walk into this most corrupt of places and he acts with integrity. And so how was he able to do this? How can Daniel do that? Because we find ourselves in situations all the time where compromise is so much easier than acting with integrity. So the third thing we find about Daniel is he had, he had spiritual practices that kept him focused on God in the midst of Babylon. God kept, he kept his focus on God. Daniel did not get distracted. He kept his spiritual disciplines and his spiritual practices going. He had this regular rhythm of prayer where he would pray three times a day. Three times a day he would pray. And this helped keep his focus on God and what God was calling him to do. And on top of that, he would keep the windows open. There was no hiding this prayer. Everybody knew what Daniel was doing these three times a day. They knew where they could find him. They knew what he was doing. And so he had, <coughs> sorry, he had this daily rhythm of prayer that provided such great power. Great power there because he was tuning in to what God wanted. And so why the open window? There's this little extra detail thrown in there. When Solomon was, was dedicating the temple, he said this in 1 Kings, When the heavens are shut up and there is no more rain because your people have sinned against you, and then, the, and then they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Solomon was dedicating the temple and he could see a day where they may not be there worshiping. That they had been disciplined and they had been punished and they would be in a far off land. And he says, pray toward this place. Pray toward the temple. Pray toward Jerusalem. And so Daniel is likely reflecting on this and he is praying with windows open knowing that he is a foreigner, knowing that he is an exile, knowing that this is not home and he keeps that door open to home. He keeps that door open and sees home and longs to be home and prays with this regular rhythm. But he also has a rhythm of reading scripture. He's praying and he's in the word. 
In Daniel chapter 9, he, he reflects back on some other things. He says, In the first year of Darius, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of, God, of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition. So Daniel's reading scripture. He's reading the, the, the letters from Jeremiah, and he knows that the situation that he is in is disciplined from God. He understands his context because he's in the Word. He knows why things are going on around him. He knows how to behave in the things that are around him because he's spending time in God's Word. He's, he's talking to God in prayer, and he's receiving from God through his scripture. And so Daniel has great strength. He has great confidence in what God is doing because he knows what God is up to because he is reading the story. He knows the story of God. He dwells in the story of God, and he lives out the story of God. And so this gives him great strength. A fourth thing that we observe in his strength is his allegiance to God would not be intimidated by Babylon. His allegiance could not be intimidated. He stood with great, with great integrity, and when faced with a challenge, he would not be intimidated. These administrators get together and create this law, and so now Daniel is forced in a place where he has to choose between the law and what the king has said and what God has said. And he will not be intimidated the decree was made, and Daniel still went to the room with the window open and prayed three times a day. And so he confidently and courageously stood in the face of that. It's interesting to note that Daniel's name means God is my judge. Not the king, not the administrators. God is my judge, and I am going to act only in a way that he judges worthy. I'm not going to be intimidated by anything. I'm not going to be intimidated by the culture around me. I'm not going to be intimidated by, by what the authorities tell me. I'm not going to be intimidated what the political system tells me. I am going to be faithful to what God has called me to. Is that at all relevant in our culture right now? Are we, are we in a culture where we are faced with decisions of compromise? And we have to look at what God says and, says and say, God is my judge. God is the one who is going to define the way I behave. God is the one who's going to define how I interact with people at school. God is going to be the one who defines how I take that test. God is going to be the one who defines how I engage in that sports league. God is going to be the one who tells me how to engage with the internet. God is going to be the one who tells me how to parent my children. And I will engage in what God is calling me to. And I hope that I can have the courage that Daniel has to not be intimidated by Babylon. Because we find ourselves intimidated all the time. We're what our friends think, what our peers think, what our boss thinks, what the law thinks is more important than what God thinks. And so Daniel gives us such an inspiration and so they throw Daniel into this lion den. And 
King Darius is really concerned about this. He stays up all night. He can't sleep. He likes Daniel. He did not want this thing to happen. And so Darius runs the next morning to the lion's den and wants to know what happened. As Daniel was put into this place and the stone was rolled in front of it, and the day progressed, the night happened, and in the next morning, Darius wants to know, is he alive? And this is his response. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. So Daniel says, everything's all right. And King Darius hears his voice coming out of this lion's den. And the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. So Daniel is in Babylon. He has been commanded to pray only to the king. And this king is forced to throw him into this pit. And Daniel has this great testimony of the power of God and the trust that he has in God to deliver him. And so this king, the one who threw him into this pit, he responds in this way. Now remember, this is the same guy who wrote a law that says you can only pray to him. I issue a decree, we're issuing decrees again, in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and, re and reverence the God of Daniel. Fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. What testimony is this? What statement of this? This, this, this incredible statement of faith. He is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Sounds like a song of worship, doesn't it? His love endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders. He has rescued Daniel. These are the words of the king, who days earlier had, had written a law that said everybody had to pray to him. He went from this egocentric king that said it's about worshiping me to seeing Daniel and seeing what God had done through Daniel and said, I've got it all wrong. I'm worshiping the wrong thing. I'm worshiping the wrong thing. God is the only one to be worshiped. And so this is quite the shift in, in policy, right? Of who is to be worshiped. And this is a Babylonian king who does this. And so how does this happen? How does a king go from being one who commands the worship of him to one who commands the worship of God. 
God is revealed in, in the midst of what is a seemingly impossible circumstance. And all, all is brought about by a man. This all, it's all brought about by this man, Daniel, who loved God enough not to compromise. And that is what shifted the king into a radically different way of living. God didn't keep Daniel from going to the lion's den, but he revealed himself through the lion's den. And so as we reflect on Daniel's life, we reflect on him as an example, we've got a couple of questions to reflect on. These are serious questions for us to be thinking about. And so kind of focus your mind in, reflect some, maybe close your eyes, Say, God, what do you want to say to me through this? Ask God right now, God, what do you want to say to me? As you reflect on these questions. First, what does it mean to, for us to be a Daniel in our modern day Babylon? What does it look like for us to be a Daniel in our modern day Babylon? As we're in school, as we're at work, as we're at home, in the community, what does it mean for each of us to be a Daniel in a modern-day Babylon? Daniel was one who was a blessing to the culture around him. How can you be a blessing to the culture around you? He's one who acted with unwavering integrity. Do you act with integrity? He's one who relied on prayer and scripture. Where are you getting your strength? Where are you getting your courage? Is it your own abilities? Is it through prayer and scripture? And he had full allegiance to God. Full allegiance to God. And so how do those, those statements describe you? How, how do they describe us as a family as individuals, ones as, that are trying to be disciples of Jesus. And what, God, what might God be prompting you to change in your life right now? What could be different? And then finally, what's your open window? What is your open window? What are the things that you try to hide behind when it comes to your faith? What are the things that you need to, to open up and expose? You know, pull... Political correctness may honor humans, but it doesn't always honor God. And so that's not a call for us to be rude and obnoxious. God is a God of love, and love is not rude, and love is not obnoxious. But are there things that we need to be taking a stance on that we're not? Things that we shouldn't be hiding? God longs for us to be used for people to come to know him. He is one who wants to be known by the world. And he uses us. He wants to save the world. And we're instruments in that. We can't love like he loves if we are locking ourselves away into some church building or some safe home or some safe place. People will not come to know the love of God 
if the people who follow him will not share that love. And so he calls us to be ones to share and get out of the safe walls of a church compound and be lights in our communities. We're called to be disciples who love God and love others. And that's what the story of Daniel teaches us. Let's be standing. We're going to spend some time in prayer, some time in worship, and this is an opportunity for us to kind of reflect on what it is that, that God is saying to us and ways that we can be obedient to what he is calling us to. And so we want an opportunity for you to come forward and pray with one of the shepherds. You can um, pray with each other, get together as a small group, get together as a family, and pray. God, how can I be a Daniel in Babylon? And what windows do I need to open as I do that? Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for all that you do for us. God, I thank you for the story of Daniel and, and the great example that he is for us. I pray that you will give us a supernatural courage to be able to do the things that you've called us to do, that we can boldly proclaim your love and your compassion, and that we can be ones who, who are seen as, as ones without a fault, ones who do not compromise, and ones who do not neglect the things that we're given. God, give us the strength to do that and show us how to be better disciples of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.